Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter and Dr. Sean Baker. Sean is a strength and high-intensity athlete and coach, setting personal records into his 50s. Zach is an endurance coach and athlete who competes for the S, Fuels, and Ultra Footwear Extreme Endurance teams. Together, Zach and Sean bring you a wide range of topics with guests from around the world. Topics include health, nutrition, physical fitness, and sports. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit paypal.me forward slash hpopod or patreon.com forward slash hpopodcast. If you wish to sponsor the show, please reach out to us at hpopodcast at gmail.com. The links to all of these can be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform or for the video versions of the show, head over to YouTube and search Human Performance Outliers Podcast. If you enjoy a show, please consider sharing with your friends and family on social media. Now, on to the next topic. Awesome. I think we are up, but uh, Brad, uh, welcome to coming back on HBO Podcast. I actually had to check back to remind myself what episode number it was. I, I used to take a lot of pride in just remembering off the top of my head, oh yeah, that was episode you know, 108 or something like that. But now it's like we've gotten into the 200s and my mind isn't large enough to <laughs> keep all that straight. So I did a quick look before and it was episode 146. If folks who are listening to this want to go back and listen to our round one with Brad, which I, I think if I remember right, we did, we were talking a bit about some speed golfing and a whole bunch of other stuff. So <laughs> if, if there's a mic in front of me, there's a, there's a good chance we're going to get into speed golfing and and uh and what have you but it's so nice to be back on you guys are cranking on the show and now you're you're carrying on like an endurance athlete no matter what and it's glad <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad to join you man yeah no it was uh obviously the show was a blast with sean co-hosting with him and it's uh it's uh fun to see that he's had so much success with his stuff over over on his own things and he's just is uh kind of focusing in on that right now so uh do the solo solo hosting for the time being and uh well see how you that know goes. i mean uh yeah i'll have to represent the uh, the, the strength and power there you uh, go. <laughs> realm of the athletic training world because i i'm pretty much obsessed with high jumping now uh it's been a, right. it's been a passion of mine for a long time and it kind of uh recalibrates all the fitness activities that i'm doing because it's such a unique sport and you have to be you know, resilient against injury when you're doing explosive work. So it's been a transition. Obviously, I have a long background in endurance, uh, but now you kind of like solve these problems differently and have different priorities. So it's kind of fun to pursue, uh, you know, different goals throughout life. Obviously, I had a phase of my life when I was on the pro triathlon circuit where all, all I was was an endurance athlete. I was good for nothing if my neighbor wanted me to come over and help, you know, put sandbags in place if the storm was coming. Ah, uh, oh, my back's <laughs> tight. I can't do it anymore. I got a uh, so ride tomorrow. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're so, you know, I think, as you know, you know, trying to pursue the very, uh, the very limit of human performance in a distinct event. Uh, we don't want Zach Bitter coming over and lifting sandbags because you're, you're not adapted to that. Uh, but, you know, trying to broaden my perspective and have goals that promote longevity, uh, promote health rather than compromise health, which I contend that, you know, elite triathlon training or even ultra training is going to be always a challenge to your health rather than, you know, mm -hmm. naturally promote your health. You got to be really careful at all times. So 
you know, now at this age group, I'm trying to just stay healthy, not get wiped out by uh, overtraining patterns and things that, you know, were so common when, when I was pushing the triathlon goals. Yeah, it is kind of funny to think about it. I, I usually tell people when you find yourself running 100 miles in one stretch, you've surpassed that margin of diminishing returns from the health benefits of running and you've gone into the world. Oh, you, sur- you surpassed that at mile yeah. 7.5, man. <laughs> no, don't kid yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting too, because like uh, we've actually, this will, this will actually be a fun episode from a timeline standpoint, I think, because we had, or I had Dave Scott come on a couple episodes ago and then we just had uh, Lewis Ryan who uh, he's an interesting guy. Cause he's 22. He got into Xterra um bike swim run stuff like i want to say and like when he was like 16 so he turned pro at 18 he's been over to the he's from new zealand but he's come over to the to the u.s a few times to do some of the big like world championship age group racing racing and stuff within that uh in his young career but um he's kind of at the beginning of that like long haul endurance stuff um, you kind of got the full scope almost of it now where you did the triathlon as a professional for a while and then, uh, have played around with, a, I mean, it seems like every time I talk to you, Brad, you've got some new like physical activity thing that you're excited about. <laughs> so it's always kind of fun to see like what direction you're heading with that stuff. Yeah. You know, I've been doing high jump since high school and I was in a, a distance runner in high school, skinny little freak that ran around circles around the track over and over. But then when our practice was over and we were done, you know, trashing ourselves with the intervals, I'd always wander over to the high jump pit. And I was just fascinated by, you know, the, the, the challenge of bending over the bar and the, and the technique. And I wasn't any good cause I was a, a, a little wimpy guy, but what's cool is, um, in my 40s and in my 50s, I was coaching the, uh, the, the young athletes in soccer, basketball, and track. Uh, my goal was to absolutely dominate them in every single practice and just, you know, punish them in every way. So I was always out there as a participatory coach. You know, I'd scrimmage with the soccer team and the basketball team, and then it was time to run lines. And I'd just try to work these poor kids over at the end and scream and yell that I was ahead and, and taunt them and do all that stuff. Uh, but in, in track practice, I was always coaching the high jumpers and then, you know, demonstrating and then spending an hour after practice doing it. So it's been in the background, but now, for some reason, I, I got excited. I entered a meet for the first time in a couple decades, an official meet, and uh, I, I cleared a height. This was in February of 2020. And then, of course, all the, the meets were shut down. So mm-hmm. right now, believe it or not, I'm ranked third in the world in the 55 and over high jump and number one <laughs> in the USA. Nice. Uh, and so I'm sure if anyone's listening that's in the master's high jump, they're thinking, I'm going to get that guy when the, when the meets come back on. And I know I'm going to go higher too, because I, I've been training like crazy, but you know, it was kind of that little uh, burst of excitement that I was actually on the board as a, as a master's track and field athlete. And I thought, you know what, this is, um, it's a perfect, it's a perfect challenge because it brings in so many factors like the flexibility, mobility, balance, all these things that we read about are so important as we age. And, you know, the metaphor of like raising the bar and trying to continue to be a competitive athlete, even as I get older, um, I think it's kind of fun. And I think we all need to have something that gets us up and lights us up and, you know, that we can continue throughout life. Um, I'm thinking of my father who, who passed in 2019 after 97 awesome years. He had a great life. No, you know, no complaints. It was a great run, but he was a very, very competitive golfer until just about the very end of his, you know, his final round when he was 95, he wasn't happy with his score. And so he, he quit, but, you know, to see him, 
with that, you know, true competitiveness and, you know, personal competitiveness. He wasn't a tough guy trying to, to win money off you. He, he did that when he was younger and did plenty of that. But, you know, he wanted to improve. He took lessons when he was a 95-year-old man to improve his chipping technique and try a different putter with a different angle. And, you know, it, it obviously, you know, got him up in the morning and, and got him thinking about golf. And he'd do his drills and his pulling the stretch cords for his abdominal work. And, you know, that's what I want to be is someone who's always got a goal and always got something going on. On, and also keeping the proper healthy perspective because uh, as you know right now at your peak uh, everything's revolving around you know your next race and putting everything you have into it to try to break a record and I was that guy from age 20 to 30 on the pro triathlon circuit and then after that um, I had to wake up one morning and go oh I got to get a job uh, I'm going to be racing kids pretty soon you know life went on and so it wasn't really a healthy notion to go out there and try to sign up for the Ironman again as an amateur and keep going and you know, only try to lose a half an hour off my best time that I did when I was a pro. You know, it was time to move on to something more healthy. And I think uh, dominating the kids is my reference point. So that was really healthy for mm -hmm. me. I don't know about those poor little kids, but I, I will say <laughs> for uh, parent coaches listening, uh, it was about ninth grade uh, when these guys, you know, I was MVP on every team from third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I was right in there kicking butt. I was the best guy. And then all of a sudden, I went from MVP to a guy who couldn't even stay on the court with the basketball players and was graciously invited to not play anymore by my son. And he said, maybe you should join the adult leagues. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, I get you. Because I couldn't guard anybody all of a sudden. They're bigger, taller, stronger. And um, that was a beautiful transition out of you know, playing with the kids to like pursuing my own goals and getting into speed golf and high jump and things like that. So there's always something uh, that I can report back to you to answer your question in the, the longest answer of all time on the podcast. <laughs> well, I think it highlights something that is that I think is interesting too, where like when people get too narrow minded in their scope of what they can do in terms of being physically active, but also enjoying themselves, I think it's where people run into these unsustainable programs where like if I decide right now, like, well, the only way for me to be in shape and be healthy is to run. Well, there's gonna be a point in my life where I no longer am excited as I am now to do that. And then it's going to become something that's both enjoyable and also productive for health to being something that is just maybe productive for health, but I'm not enjoying it at all. So for me at that point, I think that's when it's time to you know, take advantage of the wide array of options that we do have in terms of physical movement and find something I want to do. And I think, uh, you know, Mark Sisson was the other guest that I thought was interesting with this because, uh, um, you know, he, he found out about, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, not disc golf, um, ultimate Frisbee. And he's like, I just loved it. So he's like, and here's someone like well into his adult age. Uh, Ted Naiman is the same way. I think he's Ted. I think Ted said on our, on our podcast, like if he could just be playing, uh, disc golf all day long that's what he would be doing like if there was a way for him to just get paid to play disc golf all day and do nothing else <laughs> that would be what he'd be doing <laughs> so uh it's funny i think like that it's that type of open mind where like you kind of gotta just forget about all these like more or less like uh thought processes of like oh well you know if you're you know if you're 50 years old you've got no business going and playing uh you know disc golf or playing this or doing this like find, find something that you like to do uh, that involves movement, involves exercise, that's going to be productive for your health and, and, and go after it. And then if that changes, don't be 
don't be disappointed that you no longer like something that you used to like move on and find find wherever there is and I think we're fortunate and and you're kind of the the gold standard in my opinion of the guy who seeks out some of these different activities because you know most people like you know myself included I'm only in my 30s but I wouldn't cross my mind to like decide to try to do high jumping as a way to challenge myself and also in inadvertently get really fit probably in the process of doing it but it's there I could do that so uh talking to guys like you about that stuff always like makes me think okay what else is out there what are these activities that I have even no clue exist or know are there but don't think of that could be a potential something I'd want to focus on later in life yeah well said you you could set another record like uh, the highest an ultra runner has ever been off the ground because it's probably you know only a <laughs> three inches <laughs> some guy some guy jumped off a rock on a trail one day and, and got some air time so you could just blow that out of the water um but that was well said and i think the you know when you start to um uh, not enjoy it it's a huge red flag warning sign. And I, and I coached a lot of people in the, in the endurance scene. And um, one way to not enjoy it is to overdo it and to compromise your health or go through a series of injuries and setbacks. And um, I think we oftentimes get stuck in a rut and you know, don't realize that our approach is flawed and perhaps even our, our goal itself is flawed. And I know in the Ironman triathlon scene, a lot of these really enthusiastic amateur racers were bumping up against family life and it was a huge form of stress. And you know, you, you could see there's supportive spouses out there and they'd be at the finish line at 10.45 p.m. waiting for their poor guy to come in and, and finish the marathon, which he was gonna complete in, in six hours and 12 minutes. And you know, I'd have these realizations when I was announcing these, uh, these races for 17 straight hours and getting tired myself. And I was like, you know, um, why doesn't everyone call Half Iron Man the Iron Man? <laughs> and it would, we'd all be better off because, you know, Dave Scott, he's out there at the front racing the Ironman and, and performing, you know, as one of the greatest endurance athletes of all time and dedicating his life to the training and training properly and knowing how to do it. But most of the recreational people out there, they have no business really performing at a distance that far as a real athlete because they didn't prepare properly because they had a full-time job and they had to commute and they had kids and they had to, you know, watch some guy at, at soccer practice dominating the, the, the kids. Oh, that was me. Sorry. But, um, you know, the goals have to be appropriate to your lifestyle and they have to be calibrated to the time and energy that you have to put in and your mindset should be well adjusted ideally. So, um, I'm not out there, let's say, having a temper tantrum if I can't clear uh, the, the bar height that I'm trying for, because the whole thing's supposed to be a form of enjoyment, recreation, and personal growth. And boy, you know, that's a tough challenge when you're an elite to try to keep that perspective and, and fly home from a race where I got my butt kicked and say, wow, it was sure nice to go to the Caribbean and, and uh, see that beautiful beach with the white sand. You know, that was, that was always a challenge, but I knew if I could get there and, and preserve that healthy attitude, that's when I could perform my best as an athlete anyway, when I was not caught up and not overly intense and driven and focused and all those things that we, we think are attributes. But a lot of times they come back to bite you if they're not properly dialed into the other important things that are happening in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it gets really interesting too. And I think like, just kind of like what you said, like, well, what, why did we determine the, the Ironman to be kind of this pinnacle of that sport versus the half Ironman when the half Ironman is, you know, there's, there's no shame in 
maximizing your potential in the half my Ironman, that might be just as not more painful experience than, than doing the same thing in the full. And I always think about that when with running, cause I think it's like, it's like the Boston marathon, right? You like basically everyone in the U S knows what the Boston marathon is if they know anything about running. So if you find yourself qualifying for Boston, getting the jacket and all that stuff, I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. I'm not trying to knock on those folks, but um, that in the average person eyes is like, okay, that's the pinnacle of running. And I could have a, like, I have a buddy who has never, never run the Boston marathon, but he's run a 1355 in the 5k when he was in college. If I went up to someone and said, Hey, I've got this guy here who's run a 1355 in the 5k. And I have this person who qualified for Boston by, by a minute. They're going to be like, Oh, tell me about the guy who qualified for Boston by, <laughs> by a minute. I'm like, it's just kind of like this, for whatever reason, we find these things that are kind of like, here's the, the benchmark that we're going to aim for kind of collectively as like a sign or like, you know, that check mark of accomplishment. And they don't always match up necessarily from, from what is, 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 is also a great big accomplishment, just maybe not known about or equally as challenging, equally as fun, but, but just a different kind of a different distance or a, a different type of event. So, um, I got a lot of love for the the forgotten events. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said that coming from you that that carries a lot of weight because you know this mentality that further is better uh, for the for the average participant and you know the, the triathletes will get asked point blank, oh that's cool, you you finished the um, the half Ironman, when are you going to do an Ironman? Yeah. Instead of like, what was your time? When are you going to improve that time? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's good to kind of think what's an appropriate challenge, what seems more fun and appealing to me. And I also like that, that bucket list concept of like, Hey, if, you know, if you are asked what's the furthest you've ever run and you have an answer, um, you know, that's pretty special, but doesn't mean you have to do four, four of them per year for the next seven years. Cause that's putting you at high risk of mm-hmm. overdoing it. Just like if you do uh, 400 milers a year instead of three, you're pushing the you're pushing the envelope, buddy. You're you're asking for trouble, right? I mean, everything's got to be put in the right perspective. Yeah, yeah. You always increase your risk uh, when you start adding that, adding more to that. I think, and I mean, there's risk in any of this stuff, but like you have to eventually get to a point where you're looking. Well, how much risk is it to like add that fourth hundred miler, or you know, add that extra race or something like that? And some years you can get away with it. Like I, I probably got away with more than I probably should have last year in 2019, and. Uh, you know, I had one of the best racing years of my life, but um, it's also been like, you know, with I'm probably actually fortunate from a long-term standpoint that there hasn't been a whole lot of racing opportunities in 2020 because it's allowed me to like have a, not, not just have a, you know, myself to say, okay, I need to step back for a little bit and let everything kind of catch up after, after last year, like the, the, the sport itself told me I had to. So, um, you know, I think, I think like, that type of a mindset though, like ideally you get yourself into that position without having it to be forced upon you so that you're kind of in control and, and aware of those sort of things. And, and it's tough though. Cause I mean, you get these folks every once in a while who can do four or 500 milers in a year and they seem to not break down as much, or they seem to be fine with it. And um, you know, Jeff Browning, who we had on the show too, is an example. He's almost 50 and he'll do four or 500 milers a year. But once you get to talking to him, he'll tell you, it's like, it's, you have to be careful doing that. And you, 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 he's, his thing is like, he doesn't do huge training blocks like he would have maybe when he was younger. And he said, that's why it's sustainable for me. Cause I know when to take my foot off the gas in training. So I'm not 
driving myself in the ground through the training program and then again driving myself in the ground during the race and then rinsing and repeating over and over again until everything breaks down he's found that balance within him where he knows like well i can i can do the training i need to do versus the training i think i have to do because so and so ran you know 200 miles last week or something like that some ridiculous number and uh it's interesting so like i guess what i'm trying to say with that is like there are there's you, you, where you get into troubles when you start trying to just mimic someone else's program or someone else's kind of accomplishment or something like that. And you start chasing numbers versus doing what's going to work for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had to learn this the hard way back when I was a triathlete and I give huge credit to Mark Sisson, who was my coach back then. That's how we originally connected before we started writing books uh, 25 years later. Um, he was a, you know, a former Ironman guy. He's older than me. And then he became a coach in the LA area and I was on this team and he was our coach. And uh, boy, I locked into his, uh, his philosophy and his, his ideas that were you know, well ahead of their time back then. And one of the things that, you know, we had to, we had to solve this problem was I just could not hang with the, the volume of the, the work performed by the elite athletes. And I'd go out there and I could ride with them uh, on, on the Tuesday ride uh, for a hundred miles all out and, and feel great and stay with the first pack. But then they'd get up the next day and go for an, an easy three hour ride in the mountains and then swim for an hour and a half. And, you know, and I would always just fall apart when I was trying to adhere to these templates that were thrown out there uh, by the group mentality because the triathletes would train together a lot. And so Sisson, you know, kind of devised this plan for me where he said, hey, why don't you measure yourself against the best workouts of the week with the best guys? And so if, if you can go and hang with the fastest running pack of the week and then forget about the other workouts and just do whatever feels right to you. And I think all of us at all levels of uh, performers, we have this wonderful intuitive sense of what's the right workout to do on a particular day and, and you know, a month or a year. And we just ignore that voice so frequently due to peer pressure or due to outside influences of the ego demands and, you know, the, the, uh, the, the stuff that you see on the internet or, you know, that, that those voices that come into your head, like, oh, my competitor just did this. And so I realized as a, as a, um, as a, as an elite performer that the discipline and the focus that I had to have was not to get out there and train. Everyone can do that. I had to be disciplined to hold myself back and not compare myself to anyone, no matter what, except for on race day on the starting line. And then when things would work for me was when I was listening to my own voice, stepping aside and saying, hey, guys, I'm going to take off now. I'm going to turn right here and pedal home instead of go two more hours. And all these little decision-making things that, that um, required a lot of strength and resiliency and trust because I was backing off from the pace set by the guys that I wanted to compete with. But after that kicks in after a while and you realize that your intuition is your greatest guide, better than the world's best coach or you know whatever it is, the, the five books that you have on your shelf, then you can kind of lock into that thing and realize that, you know, if your goal is, is peak performance, you have to make these tough decisions and, and delay that instant gratification that you get when you head out the door, get sweaty, uh, you know, go to the, the viewpoint, turn around and write in your logbook, today I accomplished something great, I ran 7.4 miles at, at this pace or whatever it is. And so, you know, it took a lot of strength to disengage from that, I guess you'd call it the, uh, the you know, the regimented OCD mindset that's so common that we see in 
uh, high level sports because you know who else is going to be attracted to this kind of crazy stuff but it was kind of interesting i have a video on my website uh, i think the title is like going from type a to type b and i you know I, I said yeah it's actually okay and it was something that i was really working on was was backing off from being that super duper competitive focus driven guy and just being a, a guy who was you know going with the flow more all right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by a company named Elemental Labs. Elemental Labs is a company that has created an electrolyte powder that you can mix into your drink. The reason Elemental Labs began developing the product Element is because Rob Wolf noticed that his performance seemed to suffer when he was taking part in one of his favorite activities, jujitsu. And after a little problem solving, he realized that it was an electrolyte situation, specifically sodium. So he wanted to develop a product that gave him all the benefits of the electrolytes without all the additional sugars and fillers that you would find in traditional sports drinks. Element is packed with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium, and comes in four flavors of orange salt, citrus salt, raspberry salt, and raw unflavored. So if you would like to up your electrolyte game, head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO and place an order. All right, now back to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It reminds me too, I think the first time I realized or was exposed to a reason to believe that like what works for one doesn't work for all was uh, when I was running track and cross country in college, uh, our, our coach, he told us that these were guys that had just graduated before I came in. So I never met them or knew them, but he's, they had a really good team. I think they got like second at nationals that year as a team in cross country. And the, the top guy on the team, he may have won nationals that year. And then the guy, the second guy on the team, uh, you know, was just right behind him. And the cool thing about that, the one, two spot on that cross country team was the guy who was in front, he would train like maybe 40 miles a week. He would do all the speed workouts and he would r- rarely if ever run slower than a six minute mile pace. And the guy who was second on the team he would do the speed workouts, the things that were specific to the races, but he was more of a high volume responder and he would run like hundred mile weeks, but obviously he wasn't running sub six minute pace the entire time. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it's like these two very kind of different approaches, kind of the polar ends of what would be considered like a minimalist approach for that type of a sport to like a maximalist approach for that type of sport. And they both worked for these guys. And then like, if you had flip-flopped the training program with these two guys, you'd likely have both those guys having subpar years or subpar relative what they were capable of. But they were, like you said, intuitive enough to know what was going to work for them and recognize like, Hey, I really benefit from running faster more often for, for the one guy and the other guy, like, you know, if I do too many speed workouts, I find myself injured or taking too long to recover from, but I can run these longer miles and seemingly never break down you know, there's like two ends of the spectrum. And then I remember years later reading Steve Magnus's book and he was talking about that. Like this is kind of like the next wave of kind of sports coaching or endurance coaching is coaching to the individual based on how they respond to specific workouts versus saying, here's the program. This is what's been shown to work. 
you fit this puzzle piece, great. If not, then, you know, you're not for this sport. I love that. That it's, <laughs> it's more about like, here's a person who's got potential. Let's find what works for them and maximize that. So we can actually realize this person's potential versus saying, Hey, if you don't fit the program, get out kind of a mentality. Yeah. And sadly, I mean, this is still the prevailing model of uh, endurance coaching and uh, team sports in high school, college, uh, whatever level. And it's so frustrating to me because I was a guy who, you know, completely blew up and bombed out of my college running career. I was an elite high school runner. I got a uh, uh, 12th in the National Junior Olympics in, in the 1500. And I was headed off to UCSB thinking I was going to have a great running career. And I just got spit out and destroyed. I was sick or injured five seasons in a row. And it was all due to this, um, this pack mentality and fostering this internal competitiveness on the team where no one wanted to slow down and back off even on an easy day because the egos were just too strong and we were just a bunch of young kids trying to battle it out oh it didn't help that there were what 21 kids out for cross-country team and I remember the first day the coach is addressing the, the pack and the, in the bleachers and he's like seven of you will qualify for the traveling team and get the fabulous new sweatsuits and you know <laughs> get to go on a road trip and meet the girls from the other school and go to those parties and you know the rest of you I'll see if I can fit you in when we have home meets and blah 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 so all of a sudden you're looking around going, okay, I got to bring some of these mofos down so I can be in that top seven and, and be a worthwhile human, uh, you know, living and breathing person who scores points. And oh my gosh, it was just such a disaster. And I finally, you know, was, was so frustrated with it that, you know, it catapulted me into a brand new sport of triathlon. But, you know, I, I brought with me uh, these ideas that it doesn't really work to you know, try to adhere to a template and we have to be free thinking. And I tell young runners all the time, don't ever lose track of your own voice, no matter what the coach says or what the team's doing, it has to feel right to you. You have to be congruent with the training program that you've been presented with. And I think now um, it's so great to see the evolution of uh, certain coaches like uh, Magnus wrote that great book and um, the leading guys in the world. Kip is my favorite example. Uh, you know, when he published his training log on the internet, I'm sure you read it and scrutinized it and probably talk about it a lot, but like to see that the greatest runner of all time who's pushed the limits further than any human to go 159 marathon and he's running almost all the time well within himself. I remember I got an email from uh, one of the listeners to my podcast and he's, he was a, a, a top college runner. Um, I think he was, he and his roommate, his roommate was a sub four minute miler and he goes, dude, my roommate does tougher workouts than Kipchoge. What is wrong with that picture? You know, like literally a more difficult uh, send off on the interval or more intervals or whatever in the comparison. And so if everyone could kind of sit back and reflect like, well, you don't have to be puking on the side of the track to become, you know, an effective athlete. Uh, that's a real eye opener. And I think going back to that UCSB store, I remember uh, another turning point was I was jogging uh, along the campus trail uh, and running whatever, you know, supposed to be a slow pace. And I come up on this guy who's running much slower than me. And I'm coming closer and closer and closer. And as I get really close, I can see this guy's landing, the definition of his, of his calf muscles was something I've never seen on another human. It was just unbelievable. It was like, you know, carved out of a bodybuilding magazine. So I approach him and then I, I catch up to him and pass by and I say a friendly hello. And I kind of, you know, at the glance, I realize 
It's Dr. Thomas Wessinghaga, who was at that moment the third fastest 5,000 meter runner of all time with a time of 13 minutes, five seconds. And I, of course, recognize him from the magazines and TV. And I'm like, wait a second, this is the UCSB campus in, in Southern California. And I'm like, are, are you Tomas? And he's like, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what are you doing here? You know, I slowed down to jog and talk to this guy. I was so excited to see him. And I go, and my second question is, why are you running so slowly? And he says, well, I'm here because my wife's uh, doing something in California and I'm training here for several weeks. And he said, you know, when it's time to run slow, you run slow. And when it's time to run fast, I can go to the track and I can, you know, obviously this guy could put out some fast workouts, but it was such a simple exchange. And I never forgot the rest of my life that here's this guy that I'm catching and passing on my slow day. <laughs> and so obviously if I was running seven twelves or whatever I thought was a slow day, it wasn't really slow enough as a, as a mediocre college runner compared to this guy who was probably doing his slow day and he was going to be ready to be, you know, prime for an awesome track workout the following day. And that was like the first exposure to what do they call it now? Polarized training. We're what 30 something years later, but people still don't grasp that it's okay to go out there and be gentle on your body and harness your reserves and your competitive energy. And then of course, once in a while, uh, you know, throw down and that might uh, ideally be a race day rather than, you know, your fourth tough workout of the week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And race day can, can be the toughest workout you can do. So like if you strategize with those, then I think you can get plenty of hard stuff in there. And like, who was it? Was it Matt Fitzgerald? I think who wrote the book while he went over and trained with some of the East Africans. And the one thing he noticed, I think even if I, I think this was Matt's book there where he said uh, that one of the most eye opening things to him was he was able to write the majority of his book while running easy on the easy days with the East Africans. Cause they were running so <laughs> slow. It was like, you catch them on the wow. fast day and it's like, you better be able to do a low four minute mile pace for whatever workout they're doing. So like, that's a, I think that that's like a, the eye opening one to me is like, you know, just because you're one of the fastest in the world at something doesn't mean that easy shouldn't still be easy. Uh, because when recovery is the primary goal, you know, if, if, if going out and running is still going to fit with that window, it still has to be easy enough that you're actually recovering. So if you're going out on that easy day and it goes from recovery as a focus to all of a sudden now I'm trying to hit some pace goal or some like metric. Now it's no longer recovery. Now you're focusing on trying to do something from a performance standpoint. And if that's not what your body needs at the time, eventually it's going to catch up to you. And, and with Kipchoge, I think the most interesting thing about that, I think it was, was if I remember, it was like an eight week buildup before, before the race that he kind of released his, his peak phase. And it was just like, it seemed like he was doing something relatively difficult almost every other day. But like you said, it was never anything like Herculean where you'd look like at it and say like, wow, that's like, that's the workout that made his day right there. Like everything kind of looked like it was just kind of a fundamental thing, part of the process. But he, I'm sure he's super consistent too, probably never hurt. And over time, you know, you just do that stuff the right way enough times over and over it compounds on itself. And then you don't have to find yourself in a position where, where he's probably doing something far beyond what he needs to do in order to be ready for race day. So his his risk reward is probably like about as well established or about as well calculated as, as any. And, and that's, that's cool to see. Yeah. I mean, his, um, the, the, the most strange and amazing takeaway insight was they reported that his weekly mileage ranges from 120 to 130. And that's his range. 
There's mm-hmm. no taper before a marathon. He'll yeah. run 120 and then go jump into Berlin or something. And then whatever is recovery week, maybe he's running more slower ones, but he's like a, he's like a human machine that we've never seen the likes of in the history. Yeah. Uh, but to always be, you know, to be that consistent and to be, you know, never, never trashing yourself. I think that's the best takeaway because, you know, raise your hand listener. If you've had a down month in the last five years or a down two months because you got injured because you blew up because something happened. And one thing I'm struggling with, I mean, I'm not here to provide all the answers, but I know like when I go out there and do these sprint workouts and, and high jump workouts, I'm so excited. I'm so pumped up to be at the track. I don't go that frequently, right? So this is a special day. I'm going to go through my whole sequences of jumping drills and try to, you know, get my technique right over the bar. And I tend to overdo it due to the excitement of the venue and the, uh, the, the time that I'm getting to push and challenge my body. And I think it's really hard to make that calculation in real time that, hey, maybe I'm going uh, one extra loop today because uh, logically speaking, I've had a big year in 2019 and you know, this is, uh, I might be still like bouncing back from that. And I think um, that's just a constant battle to kind of you know, regulate and, and make good decisions uh, without having the you know, regrets of the next morning where you, that's when you finally realize you overdid it or the following week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good, good outlook, I think. But speaking of high jump, let's, let's talk a bit about that. Cause I'm actually interested in like, what would, uh, I guess you kind of maybe are a little unique cause you did a little bit of high jump in high school. So you probably had an idea of some of the basics and the fundamentals, but like if you were, if someone came to you or one of the listeners reached out to you and said, Hey, Brad, I want to start high jumping. Where do I even start? <laughs> I've never even looked at a high jump pit, much less try to jump into one. What are some of like the basic like startup like or is there I imagine there's things you want to be doing before you even get to the pit in terms to make sure your body's ready for that sort of thing and then start implementing some of the stuff that people would imagine like that beautiful Fosbury flop over the bar at at hopefully like seven feet or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, jump over your height. Really easy goal right there. Wow, what a um, what a fun question. And even if you you know don't have interest in some specific random thing, um, I feel like you know going outside and jumping up in the air off the ground and landing is such a fundamental human behavior. And these are the things that we've totally rejected and forgotten about. In, uh, in in modern life, and you know, most people in this country, uh, you know, have this notion of fitness being uh, turning on a machine and watching CNN and uh, seeing who was named to the uh, the vice presidential candidate and uh, the, the debate about whatever. You know, they're watching TV, so they're on a machine watching another machine indoors. <laughs> and doing a repetitive motion straight ahead exercise, which of course has health benefits and, and cardiovascular benefits. But I do think we have to broaden our perspective of fitness into you know, basic competency for fun stuff that you watch your kids doing at the playground, but you haven't done in 20, 30, or 40 years. So you know, just the act of jumping uh, is so strenuous too. Like I will go out there and do, um, you know, on, on, on my paved street right in front of my house. And if I do 10, uh, you know, full effort explosive jumps into the air and land safely, it's not too dangerous to do that. You can probably go out there and try it, listener, and, and not have, you know, a big drama here. Uh, but it's very, very uh, difficult. And you get a wonderful uh, high-intensity training stimulus in a very, very short time. So, you know, one thing I've done 
recently is I've been obviously endurance athlete since I was a kid and my morning uh, for the last 40 years, I'm 55 years old now, is typically started with getting my dog out of the house. I want to be a responsible dog owner. I think if you're going to get a dog, you owe that dog at least once a day and hopefully twice a day getting out there into nature and letting that that dog be a dog so i usually just head out the door and jog for 20 30 40 minutes and this is you know a lifelong habit and for some reason recently like my mind has shifted to where instead of just a steady state cardiovascular session i go out there and i'll jog a little bit and then I'll do a bunch of jumping drills or balance drills that I've created. I have some of them on YouTube, but uh, you know, I might see a, a granite rock and I'll jump up and down the rock 10 times and then I'll walk because I did something strenuous and catch my breath. I don't want to have a strenuous workout. It's, it's quote unquote my morning jog. But now my morning jog is this crazy thing where I'm doing balancing drills on a tree trunk and then down the road, down the trail, I'm doing something else. And it becomes a more varied and creative exercise outing. Again, it's not that strenuous to do 20 seconds of jumping up and down a rock. I'm not doing eight sets of that, like a CrossFit workout or something. Uh, but that's been kind of a fun revelation for me that I thought I'd share. Cause I know there's a lot of people that are in that groove. They go get their morning session. Uh, but now the, the research like, uh, Dr. O'Keefe, the, the great Ted talk that is called, um, run for your life, but not too far. And at a slow pace, that's the title of his Ted talk. Uh, and there's a lot of research coming out now that, uh, maxing out, your cardiovascular fitness benefits and health protective benefits is much easier than we think. And some of the uh, numbers spouted, I'm sure you're familiar and the listeners probably know, like uh, a couple hours a week at a very slow pace gives you an A plus in cardiovascular fitness. And from there, if you try to extend it out to you know, eight or 12 hours a week of running or whatever, of course you're hitting uh, past that curve and going into the health risk category in pursuit of fitness goals, which is just fine too. We wanna to live our life and enjoy our life and go for it. But uh, the notion that it's super easy to get cardiovascularly fit and then what's next, uh, you know, flexibility, strength, balance, muscle, uh, muscle endurance, uh, power, explosiveness, all those things where we might be looking at uh, a typical uh, fitness enthusiast that has a D plus in explosiveness, a D plus in strength, you know, a C minus in muscular endurance, because all the only thing that can go forward is their, their quads, and then their, yeah. their glutes and their low back tightens up after an hour, uh, all these kind of things, we can kind of open our mind and go, wow, uh, you know, Kelly Starrett from Ready State, and he talks about this a lot where, you know, he'll, he'll take someone into his gym for the first time and say, okay, go into a deep squat and hold it. And he wants people to be able to hold a deep squat for 10 minutes. And most people are around 90 seconds. The front of your shins are going to burn or your, uh, your, your hip flexors are just going to explode out of your body and you're going to fall back on your butt. So I think um, that's trying to get, getting to your question is like, if you want to try to broaden your concept of fitness, we talked about high jump here, but it could be anything getting good at jumping up in the air and landing oh my gosh, what a, what a fun challenge with so much room for improvement for the average person who, who is able to jog around the park three times, right? Big deal. Now let's go to the next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the thing I love about that the most is it's like pretty applicable for almost anybody. Like, like at no point during that description, did you list like an expensive piece of equipment you need to acquire in order to do that? And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something where I think like the message of uh, just getting started is going to net so much of the benefits from a health standpoint 
that I think since that message often gets missed by maybe the end goal. So maybe someone decides I need to get in shape. I need to start taking care of myself. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to train for a marathon. Now they've put a goal on the calendar of this marathon, which means they're going to want to do certain things to get ready for that. And they've already kind of made the goal something completely different from what they originally were intending to do, which was just to you know get a little more healthy, where you get so much of the cardiovascular benefits from just brisk walking every once in a while. And then like, then it just becomes after that, like how much do I want to focus on improving this particular movement at, from a, like either a competition standpoint, whether it's with yourself or other people or just a developmental process. But like you said, like if you find yourself getting an A plus in say one really, really like essentially what I'm doing <laughs> with, with ultra marathon running, and then, then there's going to be things where you're going to flunk just because in order to get as good as you possibly can at something that's very different from other things, it's going to, there's always a give and take. And I think that crosses like that crosses over into nutrition that crosses over into so many different things in life where the better you get at one thing, sometimes that comes at a pull. So from a health standpoint, you're almost better off probably being a jack of all trades where, yeah, you can jump if you need to, you can do um, burpees if you need to you can do that that 10 minute like squat hold if you need to but you could also go and do that 30 minute run around your neighborhood if you need to like the, that I think is probably like if we start setting standards like that for folks where hey I can just test myself every once in a while on these variety of different things if I can check that box in terms of being able to do it then I'm heading in the right direction then they have variety they have something that's achievable sustainable and then if they do find something within that grouping that they actually really love above and beyond the other stuff and they want to kind of hyper focus on a little more, they have that opportunity. But um, in terms of their initial goal of just being healthy, I think like sometimes we oversell what you need to do and that gets people into a failing, a failing system of where they're just not going to eventually get there or they'll get there. And then once they get there, they'll stop completely because they kind of ran themselves dry in the process and it becomes unsustainable pretty quick. All right, folks, Optimal Carnivore reached out to support the show and let you know about a product they are very excited about. Optimal Carnivore recognized that organ meats are some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, but can often be difficult to prepare conveniently and hard to get when eating out or traveling. For this reason, Optimal Carnivore has created grass-fed organ complex and bone marrow complex. They do this by sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, freeze-dry the organs, and encapsulate them into a convenient bovine gelatin capsule. They chose New Zealand because it is a pure source, a pristine land with rich soil, lush greenery, and one of the cleanest environments on earth. The products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and free of hormones, pesticides, antibiotics, and GMOs. The grass-fed organ complex is a unique blend of nine different organs, a powerful combination including beef liver, brain, thymus, heart, kidney, spleen, pancreas, lung, and intestines. The bone marrow complex contains the same components as a home-cooked bone broth, perfect for people who are traveling or who do not have the time to make bone broth. All the nutrients and substances that your body uses to build, repair, and maintain your bones, teeth, and connective tissues. In an effort to add even more to these benefits, Optimal Carnivore plants one tree for every product sold, which helps the environment. So go visit www.amazon.com forward slash Optimal Carnivore 
and use the code HUMANSAVE10 to receive 10% off your purchase. Links and the promo code can be found in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. It's it's you know just get just get pretty good at a few different things. I and that's what's wonderful about the uh, the CrossFit uh, philosophy is they're going in and doing all these varied things. My my reflection is that um, you can take something that's uh, explosive and overdo it with a workout that's too long in duration because the nature of the anaerobic muscle fiber is it doesn't need to be trained over and over. This is Dr. Phil Maffetone's insights that he communicates so well is you don't need to do a 45 minute workout where you're climbing up the rope seven times in between running around the block. It's nonsense. It's just going to exhaust you and fatigue you. Um, Dr. Craig Marco, who I've had on my show, get over yourself podcast. He has written one of the great articles I've seen in decades that I think is a revolution in fitness philosophy and it's called hit versus hurt you can go uh, google that on breakingmuscle.com dr craig marker hit of course is high intensity interval training and his spin on this he calls it high intensity repeat training so hurt h-i-r-t and the distinction there is when you do a hit workout by definition uh, it's depleting and exhausting because you're trying to uh, achieve uh, the performance that you're doing on your intervals intervals over and over with not enough rest in between them. So you go to spin class, we're going to sprint uh, 10 times 30 seconds with 30 seconds rest, or we're going to do Tabata for 20 minutes. Tabata was a scientific discovery by Japanese scientists where the workout lasted for four minutes. <laughs> but you go into a gym, routine gym, and you see on the whiteboard, uh, 60 minute uh, Tabata boot camp, like they're doing it for an hour, <laughs> completely distorted from the original science. So uh, the high intensity repeat training workout is one where you perform an explosive effort in this sweet spot of duration of 10 to 20 seconds. Because if you try to go all out sprint for longer than 20 seconds, it's not truly a sprint anymore. The, the body cannot perform with maximum output at longer than 20 seconds. If you try to, because your spinning instructor's yelling at you to finish yet another interval lasting for 30 seconds or sprinting for a minute, <clears throat> total misuse of the term sprinting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what happens if you try to keep going is you destroy your uh, cellular structure to fuel this ATP, this ravenous fire to, to keep you going at maximum output. And uh, in Dr. Marker's article, he talks about this disassembling and deamination of these cells in your body, so they're they're combusting to fuel you fuel you as you you know try your hardest to sustain an output past 20 seconds. So you don't want that cellular damage because it requires a long recovery time. It can cause all kinds of trouble, like suppressing your immune function, causing ammonia toxicity. Which cells are most sensitive to ammonia toxicity? Your brain cells. So you have brain fog at 3 p.m. because if you your crazy workout that you did at 6 a.m. But if you can keep your sprints under 20 seconds, you get a wonderful performance benefit before they start breaking down and falling apart. And in tandem with that, you add what Dr. Marker calls luxurious rest intervals in between these efforts. So when I go and do uh, my high jump workout, I'll do, let's say, uh, a, a jumping uh, sequence where I'm hopping on one foot as high as I can in the air, landing, hopping, landing, hopping, and it takes about 10 seconds. And then I walk around and recover for probably a minute. So I feel fantastic when I try the second sequence of that same drill, rather than 
on my fourth one, I'm huffing and puffing, I'm getting tired, and now my form sucks, I'm introducing injury risk, and I'm gonna pay the price 24 hours later, 36 hours later, 48 hours later, because my body has been destroyed in pursuit of some awesome workout performance because I didn't rest enough during that workout. Same with the sprints, I do um, a set of eight 70 meter sprints as my, my go-to sprint workout. Now 70 meters, not much, not very impressive, but guess what? It's in that sweet spot of 10 to 20 seconds where it's a true sprint. I rest a long time in between each sprint. So my eighth one is excellent, just like my first one, relatively speaking, right? I don't know how excellent it is, but I'm doing the best I can. I'm getting the most out of my body. And so I think we should add that ability to perform explosive effort as a fitness requirement, but doing it properly where you go out there, whoever you are, if you can't do weight-bearing sprints right now, okay, sprint up the, uh, the stadium stairs or an uphill sprint or even on a, an exercise bike if you do have uh, limitations of that nature. But keep it in that uh, very short duration with very long rest in between each sprint. And then you'll feel like an actual athlete, like Usain Bolt or someone who's a true sprinter, where you go watch them working out. They're not on their hands and knees huffing and puffing seven times because they haven't rested enough. They're doing really explosive stuff and then taking extensive rest periods. And that's how you become a competent uh, a sprinter, power athlete, explosive athlete. This goes for kettlebell swings too. Were you going to swing the kettlebell? Okay, let me see you swing that thing for 12 seconds and then stop for at least a minute. And that's kind of a breakthrough that we all need to embrace because I think most people are out there when they do go hard, the hard workout is too stressful, too strenuous. It doesn't serve the intended purpose. And then in that depleted and exhausted phase afterward, guess where we're headed? To the Human Performance Outlier show sponsor, Jamba Juice. Oops, sorry, I just <laughs> lost you a sponsor. Because when you're, when you're finishing these workouts that are too strenuous, you're craving sugar, your glycogen is depleted, you're doing it three days a week, and you're turning into, guess what? a sugar burner, a carbohydrate-dependent athlete. And I don't know about you, but the people I talk to in this health scene, the most common goal, or you know, the most common area where we're getting a C minus, D plus, self-graded, right, is excess body fat. And you got people extremely devoted to fitness, extremely devoted to healthy eating, and still carrying around an extra 5, 10, or 15, or 20 pounds. And that is often due to uh, workouts that are poorly designed. We talked about going slow enough to really be in the fat burning zone. Like Dr. Tomas, the great 5,000 meter runner, he was burning fat all the way. But a lot of us out there who are doing the stair climbing and watching CNN are just out of that fat burning range. So we're burning a little too much glucose during these workouts. We're eating a little too much later that night. And then when we do go blast out an interval workout, it's too difficult. It burned up too much sugar for too long a period of time. And then we're off at Jamba Juice getting the scone and the, the medium smoothie, which is more calories than we just burned doing an incredibly stressful CrossFit session. Yeah, no, I think uh, beyond losing our potential Jamba Juice sponsor, I think we already lost our potential granola bar sponsorship episodes ago. So we can just add to that list if we need to. <laughs> um, Baker just 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 ruined that one for you. <laughs> the the thing you reminded me of though when you were talking about the just the way to structure those short those high intensity interval sessions too was like this other concept of rather than like you can find these situations where you're just busy all day like you don't have a 60 minute block of time to go out and do like what would be considered like maybe a standard workout and so rather than just throwing it all out the window and saying I'm just uh, you know 
destined to be stationary the entirety of this day is, you know, every 60 minutes or every couple hours, uh, you know, just get up and take 30 to 60 seconds to do a 10 to 20 second, like set of jumping jacks or push-ups or jumps or something like that. And you're kind of doing what you described, but with even longer recovery times in between, if you find yourself doing that like a handful of times, or maybe it's like, okay, I got to go up the stair, the staircase anyway. Well, I'm going to take 10 seconds and bound up it versus just like, you kind of like shuffle up. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of these little opportunities. I think that even in the busiest of circumstances, you can still, you know, add a little bit of flavor to things and, and hopefully still get some, some health benefits out of it all. That's funny for like longer recovery time. I could see like someone making an entry in their journal, yeah. uh, <laughs> <sprint>. <laughs> <laughs> recovered, recovered five hours, did another sprint. Yeah. <laughs> love it, man. And the good thing about that, uh, concept you just explained, they're calling it micro workouts. Now I think it's a great breakthrough in fitness that you don't have to have this lengthy formal workout, uh, is that another great interest of mine is ma male hormone optimization at my age, you know, testosterone is the, the maker break uh, essence of uh, male functioning and anti-aging and uh, virility, longevity, uh, explosive power, preserving muscle mass, all these things that are so important. And boy, um, if you look at the stats, uh, our testosterone is on a steady decline uh, throughout life uh, and at an accelerated curve rather than you know the gradual curve that you'd find with a super healthy specimen where there's no reason why it needs to just be chopped off every decade except for our adverse lifestyle practices, especially adding belly fat and getting into an inflammatory state at all times due to diet, due to bad lifestyle habits. So boy, to preserve that testosterone through a comprehensive approach. I have this thing called the MOFO mission. It's 10 assignments. You can go look, look at it on my website and you know get deep into this concept because it is so important. And when you over-exercise, when you do those interval workouts that are too strenuous, when you overdo it on the endurance side, you trash your testosterone levels and literally uh, decrease your health and, and, and accelerate aging rather than delay aging. So to get those things dialed in, those brief bursts of activity throughout the day are known to uh, produce an adaptive uh, hormone spike into your bloodstream. So you get a boost of human growth hormone, testosterone, other important hormones, but you're not going so long that you're fatiguing yourself and causing a decline in these hormones. So that's kind of the secret is to uh, get these explosive bursts into your daily lifestyle, but being careful not to uh, do workouts that are too strenuous and have the opposite effect. I think that's kind of like the hack of the century is that we uh, need to go back to our ancestral example, our genetic expectations for health. And that entailed a lot of walking around and movement all day long, not a lot of sitting, and those brief bursts of strength and power and explosiveness that truly make us human that are greatly neglected today. So I'm glad you brought up that example. And yeah, I'm thinking of that journal entry, five-hour recovery between stair <laughs> sprints, perfect day on the, on the training log. I'm just waiting to see the, the workout program that has the work to rest ratio of like one to 2000 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because I think we've been socialized poorly to think, uh, you know, what is a, what is a tough workout? It's going to the track on Tuesday night and running a set of, you know, six, eight hundreds or something with, you know, a short rest between them. And so it kind of turns into that, um, cardiovascular sessions that's not explosive and because you're 
you know, going past your aerobic heart rate, you're just turning into an, an exhaustive session that requires a whole ton of recovery after. And going back to that Kipchoge example, where if he is doing intervals, I saw a video of him doing a set of 1000s on the track in Africa with the people sharing the pace. And you're like, wow, what an amazing, difficult, incredible workout. But then it's like, wait a second, the guy runs four minutes, 38 per mile for 26 straight miles. So if he's 20 seconds over his marathon race pace, it's no longer that mind blowing that he's doing these, these, it's not a crazy workout anymore. It's just kind of like fine tuning the engine. And so kind of trying to summarize back to the, you know, the average person, if you can step out and do 10 explosive jumps into the air and land, you know, a few seconds in between them, that might take you 20 seconds, rest for a minute or two, do another set, maybe a third set, and that's it. And you've spent what, you know, 10 minutes out on your street and you've added an incredible, beautiful new element to your overall fitness regimen, whatever you're doing now that's, that's lacking that explosiveness. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, if there's a theme here, I think real Tabata sets and micro workouts are a great starting point and there's no excuses to miss those. <laughs> right on, man. I mean, yeah. Who doesn't have 10 minutes to throw that in? Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, that's also, I think it's like, it's encouraging too, because like we said before, it's easy to look at, you know, where you maybe want to be or where you think you want to be and have that goal be out of reach given your current state. But some of these kind of relative kind of easy entry points. And, and I think one thing we, one thing I've thought about more just with my own coaching programming for myself and with, with my clients is like, how do I build in like things along the way that they can really be proud of and consider wins. So rather than like us sitting down at the beginning of a four month, like training cycle saying, okay, here's that carrot for you, but it's four months down the road. So you should do these short interval sessions on week two, but the, you know, the, because the payoff is going to come in 16 weeks, that's so far off. Like they may stay motivated on that. Like some people will stay perfectly motivated with it, but others won't. And like, for those that, that won't, it's like, you know, you need, you need to have something else where it's like, well, what was the furthest you've run in three minutes before? Well, let's see by the time we get to the end of this VO two max interval, like set of, uh, you know, programming, let's see if we can run your fastest three minute or your furthest three minute or something like that, that you have. And then, then they have a shorter term goal to focus on too. And something that's achievable, something that like if we have enough of those built into the program, even if they got to the race and decided, you know what, I'm not even going to do the race. They can look back at that four <laughs> months and be like, I'm glad I did that. I improved my health. I improved my fitness. I checked these little goals off along the way that were, were fun and exciting and uh, rewarding at the time and still now to a degree. And it's like you just kind of build a system of success that is not necessarily only hyper-focused on this one kind of like achievement at the end, which once that's over, it's like you're left asking yourself, what next if you didn't enjoy the process leading into it? Love it, coach. That's fantastic. <laughs> keep, keep people coming back to Zach, Zach Bitter well, Coaching because he's always got something fun for you. <laughs> I was going to say, I just got myself three new coaching clients with that, that little speech. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Well, especially, um, you know, we're recording here in 2020, the, the time of being stuck in the home. And I hear people complaining and stuff, but like, uh, you know, I, I put this stuff up on my Instagram where I'm doing these little challenges. And it's so fun to try to get better at the one-legged elevated split squats. They're brutal. When I first tried it, I couldn't even keep 
keep my balance and now I can rifle off 40 on each leg. And it's like, just for me to, to have that, um, you know, satisfaction that now my competent competency is raised over something that's probably pretty important for health, longevity, uh, you know, uh, contributing to my, uh, athletic goals. And I, I think we should put a plug in for, you know, the, even the extreme endurance athlete like yourself and any of the recreational people who are trying to go for these long events, it's been scientifically proven that if you can improve your balance, explosiveness, your ability to resist the breakdown of your form while you're fatigued, things like sprinting, where I'm, I'm here talking about doing 70 meter sprints, someone who's training for 100 probably not the hugest priority, but if you can go get a basic level of competency with running at full speed, it's going to improve your form from mile 87 to mile 100 when all your muscles are, you know, at maximum fatigue and you're having to recruit fast twitch muscle fibers because your slow twitch are gone. And so it goes, it goes for anyone's fitness program, even people who are pursuing uh, extreme endurance goals. The well-roundedness is, there's a, there's something to be said for it. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on with that. I think that's the that's the key to like you're if you, let's say you're doing 100 mile races like I am, and it can be easy I think to say, well, why would I do a strength training routine during that? Why would I do short intervals during that training cycle? And what you said is exactly why you would do them because when you start getting dialed into race day specific intensities, which you're going to want to do at some point in the training block you also want to be in a position where you're robust enough that that's not going to like break you down and injure you because it is very slow. It's very repetitive. It's very monotonous in the sense that your mechanic is basically the same over and over again. And that leads to imbalances. It leads to injuries. It leads to things that are going to be less than ideal for you on race day and long-term. So I think when you're cycling in some of that stuff that promotes a more balanced musculature uh, it, it, it promotes a more economical, like, uh, just, just gait in general. And when you're doing these sprints, it's like, you have to be pretty tight in, in dialed in with your form or, or you just don't get up to that speed. So it's like teaching your body to do the right things and preparing it to be able to take on some of the more monotonous uniform things that you maybe need to do, uh, going forward into the other stuff. And, and that's not even touching on just like the ability of some of these high intensity type efforts to raise your potential on the aerobic scale or what I like to say is like raise the ceiling of where you can get aerobically when it comes time to kind of focus in on that and in training. So uh, like all this stuff I think is, 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 is great. And, and ultimately it adds variety to any training plan too. Cause you know, I think when people get into ultra marathons, a lot of times there is this appeal, just, I just want to go out and run long, run slow and enjoy that, get out into nature, spend long hours out there. And, and that's great. I think there's a place for that. Uh, but I think there's also a point if you do that stuff long enough where you start asking yourself, why am I doing this again? And then it's like, then you can kind of sell the periodization side of things. I think a little easier to those folks because they, they, they kind of enjoy this new endeavor of like, okay, I'm going to do the short interval session and kind of see where I'm at there and see where my progress is within that. And uh, it's, it's fun. I like it. And I think it's, it's part of the reason why I've enjoyed this sport as long as I have is because there are points in my training where, you know, the 30 mile long run is, you know, weeks, if not months down the training plan. And right now I'm going to be doing maybe a 60 minute run that has some short intervals in the middle of it or something like that. So, um, I think it's perfect. I love, I love you're, you're preaching my language. <laughs>
<laughs> right on. Wow, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm glad you're receptive to it because you stand as you know an extreme performer. But even so, you got to keep things fresh. You got to work on. I think it's also a good plug to um, you know work on things that aren't your bread and butter. And I think it was Joe Rogan gave a great quote. He said, um, the secret to happiness is finding something you suck at and getting better at it. Yeah. I think he was maybe paraphrasing uh, someone more, uh, you know, uh, you know, vaunted like Ben Franklin or somebody said something to that effect or some old philosopher. But yeah, something that you're new at, you're uncomfortable with, you've never tried it. Uh, that's when you can kind of light up and get that excitement going and realize that there's those little wins, as Coach Bitter calls it, all the way along the way and uh, feeding toward if you have a bigger prominent goal for sure, man. Yeah, no, perfect. Yeah, I think, uh, what was it? Uh, I think the way to maybe look at it is regardless of how naturally gifted you are at an activity, if you just start it, you suck relative to what you could get to. <laughs> so, yeah, so even if you're, right. yeah, even if you're yeah. like LeBron James or Michael Jordan, like when you first pick up that basketball for the very first time, relative to where they got at their pinnacle, they were very bad. So, you know, everyone has got that relative starting point. And I think uh, using that as leverage is, is key because when you have that starting point, there's a lot of improvement that you get a witness along the way. And you just have to be mindful about recognizing it. Uh, versus like bypassing the small benchmarks in in favor of trying to get to the end point. Love it. Cool. Keep well, it fresh every day. Yeah. Well, Brad, I don't want to eat up too much of your morning, um, but if there's anything else you want to chat about, we can certainly dive in. Otherwise, if you want to share, I know uh, um, your Get Over It podcast is something you've been working on now for, is that about a year now that you've been doing that one? Uh, it's been uh, a couple hundred shows, just like you guys. Oh, really? So okay. I think I started that in uh, uh, 2018, and it's been a great journey. I've had a lot of great guests on there, and um, you know, I think your listeners would would like that too. It's called Get Over Yourself. And then I mentioned briefly this MoFo mission, which is really exciting to me. It stands for Male Optimization Formula with Organs. And I know you have a lot of carnivore Sean Baker fans on the show. So this is a new product that I've come out with uh, in association with Ancestral Supplements. People love their organ supplements, but it's designed specifically uh, to support male testosterone optimization. Uh, but when we when we kind of plan this uh, this this product, you know, we wanted it to be a comprehensive lifestyle movement rather than just you know selling more pills, which maybe some of us have a counter crowded with pills. <laughs> so <clears throat> this Mofo mission is a series of ten assignments, and they're all in an ebook. You can download it for free. It's great information, but it covers all aspects of healthy living and how they go to support or compromise. Uh, your testosterone levels. And one of my favorite guests I've had on my podcast, Dr. John Gray. He's the best-selling relationship author of all time with his Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus book series that have been going for 25 years. And he's talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, the hormonal underpinnings that affect relationship dynamics and how dysfunctional uh, interactions between the male and female can trash male testosterone levels just like overtraining or not sleeping enough and vice versa. If you have a loving relationship where the female thinks you're the hero and that you got this and you're doing a great job and you're getting support and you're communicating well and you're making her feel like the queen of the house and all these great things that will dramatically 
actually spike your testosterone levels and you'll be all the man that you can be. You can preserve romantic spark for 20 years. There's great studies with uh, John Gottman, another famous therapist, where these couples report they're still in love and excited and the part of their brain lights up when their, their <laughs> partner walks into the room. Instead of the usual dynamics that we see where people get into dysfunctional ruts, they go to bowling league and complain to all their buddies that their wife is nagging them again this week and they're, they're bummed about it and the women go to the hair salon and chit chat about how difficult it is to get along with a, a male in the house. And so we can transcend some of these blocks that we have in, in normal life. Of course, we can get rid of the shit food that you've had so many great guests talking about. Look, we got to get our diet optimized and pick the foods that nourish health at the genetic level. So I've tried to put everything together. Um, I mentioned John Gray because like item number 10 on the MoFo mission is don't be a dick to your girlfriend or wife. And so <laughs> like your assignment as a man is to be calm, cool, and collected. That's John Gray's description of like, you know, emotional self-sufficiency and emotional control, which is such a huge, important thing. And we tend to kind of have fallen off that in recent times and the evolved cultural dynamics where we want the man to be sensitive and open and share your feelings. And, you know, don't just stonewall, tell the seven reasons why you're frustrated today at the shopping mall because it took too long. No, 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 no. This is a whole nother picture of like, look, dude, suck it up be nice, be kind, and then go off and do testosterone boosting activities like workouts, like tinkering with your motorcycle in the garage, doing things that are problem solving and that are playing to our basic biological drive, which is to dominate our environment, pursue challenges, uh, you know, feel like we have accomplished something uh, each day. And so I like the, the idea of kind of uh, making this commitment going on the mission, taking the assignments and, you know, step-by-step step working on your life in different areas where, you know, maybe you are super duper dialed with your job and you're excelling in the workplace and you're making a lot of money and you're shopping around for another new car, but all these things underneath the surface, you know, the, the spare tire is growing while, you, while you're buying a new car, but you're not taking care of your body. And boy, it becomes of more interest to me at this age because, you know, you can't get away with all the crazy stuff let's say I did in my 20s when I was training super hard, coming home, crashing, waking up the next day and do it again. Now we have to have everything, you know, in a beautiful uh, harmony in order to be uh, healthy and, and vibrant and energetic and, and, and ultimately happy and enjoying a long, you know, meaningful life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think what, what you said made me think of just like how we, we have these personality traits or these like biological traits more or less that uh, can be very beneficial when they're channeled in the right direction, but can also be very destructive if they're not channeled in the right direction. And it's just about recognizing how do I use that, that to be productive versus, uh, you know, a, a negative experience or a negative outcome, uh, either in the moment or down the road. And once you kind of start recognizing those, you can start to, to use those things as, as strengths versus weaknesses. But I'll have to go back. I haven't, I didn't hear that podcast that you had with, with Dr. Gray, but that sounds like a, like a fun one to listen to. So I'll have to load that one up for my next, for my next workout. And oh my gosh. Check it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you can get your partner and listen together, and I actually have a summary show where I just compile all the insights into these essential male and female assignments. So it's super fair. If you're listening to it with your girl, whatever comes first, cause I have the male assignments and then we come up to the female assignments after, but like really quickly, you know, the, the major male assignment is don't freaking open your mouth. If you, 
you are experiencing a negative emotional charge. Don't say it. Shut the fuck up and listen and be the calm and cool one in the room. And if the female needs to vent and she's having a rough day and uh, you know, the, the generalization of uh, female biology and female biological drives is they want to nurture, support, connect. They can easily get overstressed and overfrazzled by all the demands that are placed upon them in modern life. And one of the ways they cope is just venting and they don't need you to chip in with a solution or a criticism. You just need to listen and be supportive. So the man's assignment is to not speak if you're feeling negative, and the female assignment is to express everything as a preference rather than a nitpick, because even a minor nitpick is going to hit the male uh, and, and make him not feel like the hero in the story. So if you can like get those two as a starting point for a relationship, it's so beautiful, and so many couples have come to me and said, wow, that was pretty heavy. We both listened to it together. I was pointing at him for a while. He was pointing back at me when that turn came up. So that's kind of fun stuff. And I'm trying on the podcast to, you know, branch out beyond what I've been living and breathing uh, for the past, you know, 12 years in this ancestral health movement of talking about these are the foods that'll make you go keto or this is the carnivore rationale. That stuff's great. But then, you know, taking it to the next level after you're nourishing yourself with the best foods, you're trying to do the best workout pattern that you can. And then where do we go from there? And so, you know, bringing in a different uh, association of guests that have different things to say, that's been really fun for me because I'm obviously not an expert on uh, relationship dynamics or uh, whatever the next topic is. Uh, you know, the EMF stuff and the hyperconnectivity now is a huge concern of mine. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the assignments of the MOFO mission is like, just like you said, you know, making these things work for you rather than against you. We have to have extreme discipline these days to power down and, and use our technology to our advantage rather than having it own our lives and be, you know, addicted to this stuff. And in people who are in my age group, we have this reference point of like half of our lives where there was no technology whatsoever. You're a little different, Zach. You had you know, your wonderful early years where you didn't have that mobile phone when you were nine or 12. I don't know what year you first got yours, man, but uh, you, know, you had that time when you were out in the forest playing, jumping in the Wisconsin lake and swimming around yeah. and doing things <laughs> like today's kids are, you know, we're, we're, it, it's tragic what's happening because you know, the digital age is upon us. And so um, you know, another takeaway uh, since we've, we've talked about fitness and, and diet and all that, but boy, if that phone can know its place in your life and you can be the master of it, that can really help with your stress levels, your hormone levels, your engagement in the present time with real live social interactions and things that we've sort of discounted these days. Uh, that's, what, that's what I'm going for right now. So I'm, I'm on the mission, man. Mm -hmm. No, it sounds awesome. I, I think it's cool when you've got that healthy curiosity to branch in and explore some different topic areas that are maybe connected in, in certain ways with what you've done, but also like a completely different field in some regards as well. It's uh, that, that always learning kind of mentality is, is definitely, I think, the, the right way for most people to go. Yeah, well, same with you guys, because your, your lineup, you know, the shows, you never know what you're going to get, really. And especially that starting point where we brought in uh, the skinniest, longest run and freak we could find. And then we got the biggest, <laughs> strongest beast on the other side and did all those promo shots with the, <laughs> you know, you're, you're running and he's, he's deadlifting 600 pounds. Yeah. And, you know, immediately when you first launch your show, it's like, this is so cool to bring you two together. 
and you know cover that disparate ground as well as the common ground but then you know the different guests that you've had on that's what's that's what's really nice about uh the podcast scene is we can you know broaden our horizons really quickly and and meaningfully with you know a good a good guest so i appreciate the the opportunity to be on the show man as a as a pleasure as always Absolutely, Brad. No, it's been great to have you on for a second time. And I think it'd be great for a third time down the road too. So um, any quick links that our listeners can head over to find that stuff you mentioned? I'll also put it in the show notes too, so they can click over easily. Oh, thanks. Gosh, you go to bradkerns.com. You can see all kinds of crazy videos, jumping drills and fun stuff. But if you click on MoFo, uh, you'll see that page for the male hormone optimization, the free ebook. I have great discounts for uh, the products that I talk about, including the uh, testosterone formula. So that'll be a great starting point. You can connect with me there by email and uh, listen to the Get Over Yourself podcast. We have some uh, familiar, familiar customers on there. I've had Sean on there twice, and I think I had you. It might have been on the Primal Blueprint podcast that we talked about, so we got to get you on there too. Uh, but um, it's fun times all around. So I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll look forward to getting this one up. But thanks again for your time, Brad. All right. Keep it, keep performing you outliers. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> hey folks, human performance outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.